Not too many of us are experiencing that love this morning, huh? Well, hopefully by the end of the morning we will be. Uh, there was this mother, and she was trying to get ketchup out of the bottle. You ever try to do that? You know, she's trying to get it out. And when she know the telephone rang, and she asked her four-year-old daughter if she would answer the phone. And the four-year-old daughter answers the phone, and uh, she says, Mommy, it, it's the pastor uh, on the phone. And then uh, the mother then hears the daughter say, uh, Mommy can't come to the phone right now because she's hitting the bottle. That was Susan's joke, you know. It's, it's got back from vacation, it's the best I could do. So, kind of a weak start this morning, but hopefully we'll have a strong finish. This morning, though, I do want to talk about something that's very exciting. Uh, one of the most fascinating stories and unique stories in the entire Bible. And I want to do that before we move to communion. And I've entitled the message this morning... Walking with God, walking with God. Lord, I just thank you for our worship teams. Always just appreciate them, Lord, and just uh, their love for you and how they bring us to you, Lord God. They bring us to the throne room. Bless them, Lord God. Thank you for each person here. It's an awesome, lovely day, Lord. And it's a day that you've made. And Lord, there's no better day, in my opinion, than just to praise and worship you right now. If we did nothing else, we would be doing everything. To worship and praise you is to get in your midst. And there's nothing like just being in your presence. And so I just invite you, Holy Spirit, that you would manifest yourself even in a greater manner. I ask that you would fill me right now from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. I pray that this message that you've given will be changing It's a message that will never be forgotten, but life-changing. So have your way now, and I just ask for this in your precious name. Amen. You know, having been in the pastorate some 30 years, uh, I've just come to the conclusion that the greatest problem, at least here in America, that we face, and I struggle with it myself, is that we want to feel good. We want to feel good on the inside. And I know some of you are thinking like, yeah, what's your problem? Of course I want to feel good. But see, the problem is in our real relentless desire to feel good, it keeps us from connecting with God. It keeps us from following God, obeying him, and therefore experiencing his life and the life that he has for us. And whether Frank Ray understands it or whether you really understand it, do you understand that your soul, that's who you are, that's, that's who I am, our soul was designed to experience relationship, fellowship with the creator of the universe, to have that oneness so that we experience life. That's what we were designed for, plain and simple, and the end of the conversation. So I want you to know this morning, right out of the shoot. That if my message does not cause you to want to seek God with everything that you have, then I have labored in vain. If my message does not cause you to take your eyes off of your situation and yourself this morning and look to the one who is on the throne, then I want you to know that I have labored in vain. If my message does not give you hope because your problems become small and he becomes great, then you see I have labored in vain. If my message leaves you wondering whether 
the suffering you're experiencing right now, the trials and the tribulations are in vain, then I want you to understand I have labored in vain. If my message does not cause your heart just to burn for him more than for anything else in this world, then I have labored for him. If my message doesn't cause you to want to seek the cause of love rather than the cause of selfish ambition, then again, I have labored in vain. If my message does not challenge you to say, he must increase and I must decrease, then I want you to know I have labored in vain. If my message doesn't cause you to just want to waste your life on Jesus Christ rather than on the things of this world which are passing away, then I have labored in vain. Has it ever crossed your mind? That the sole reason you were placed on this planet was just to know him. Just to know him in everything that you do, to look like him, and the end result would be you would impact those out there who are dying and dark and confused. Has it ever just crossed your mind that's why you're here? I pray by the end of this morning it will. You know, I don't know what your situation is this morning. Maybe you're an unmarried man. Maybe you're an unmarried woman and you're just struggling with loneliness this morning. Maybe you're grieving this morning. Maybe you're grieving because you've lost a loved one. Or maybe you're grieving because you have a child who's in rebellion and is far away from home. Maybe you're experiencing deep financial problems this morning. I mean, you're not really sure how you're going to pay those stack of bills. You're not even sure how you're going to put food on the table for your family. Perhaps you're just discouraged this morning. Maybe you're just confused. Maybe you're an unmotivated young person. You just don't see any purpose, any real reason to go on living and for your life. Maybe your spiritual life this morning, maybe it's on autopilot. Maybe you're just parched. Your soul is just dry. Can I give you hope this morning? Can I give you hope? I want to talk about one of my favorite passages in the Bible as we move towards communion, which is Hebrews in chapter 11 and verse 6. I, I love it. I hope you love it as much as I do. It says that, and without faith, and without really Trusting, placing the full weight of your life upon him, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, with everything that they have, seek him. Now, you see, I call Hebrews 11.6 a clarifying verse. The reason why it's clarifying is because it clarifies, it cuts through all the clutter of our lives. And it really says that there's just two choices we have in life. Choice number one is this. Choice number one is that I can just continue to pursue whatever it is that's going to make me feel good. I don't know what makes you feel feel good in your flesh. Maybe it's job and success. Maybe it's notoriety. Maybe it's having a lot of money in the bank. Maybe it's having a lot of things. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's drugs and alcohol. I don't know what it is, but you see, whatever it is that you're pursuing in the flesh to feel good, it has always kind of a bad ending. You know why it has a bad ending? About 3,000 years ago, there was a man by the name of Solomon, and he wrote these words. John, can you put up those words? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting at verse 1, the baby boomer's Bible. 
These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Now, listen to him. This is a guy who had everything, all right? Everything is meaningless, all right, says the teacher, completely and utterly meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then it turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing and circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing new Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually, it's just old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself, now watch this, this is Solomon, to search for understanding, to explore by wisdom everything that could be done under heaven. Now watch this, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless like a chasing of the wind. He said, I've tried it all. I tried everything to satisfy, to make me feel good. And he said, in the end, I just was empty. It didn't work. It didn't satisfy. You see, that's choice number one. Choice number two is that I can pursue earnestly. I can just seek God. Have you ever just kind of made that commitment? That I challenge you really to do this, that no matter what, whether it's in your work, whether it's in a relationship, uh, whether it's in your free time. Maybe you, you, you're just deep in sin this morning. Do you know that you can even seek God there? You say, Lord, I need to know the power of your grace to deliver me from this. So wherever you are right now, you just say, I'm going to seek him. I'm going to seek him with everything that I have. I am going to believe. I'm going to do something outrageous that most people don't do. I'm going to believe that you and you alone, God, can satisfy my soul. You know, the New Testament has one single message. You know what that message is? That Jesus Christ is to be your consuming passion. Jesus Christ is to be my consuming passion. Can you honestly say this morning that Jesus Christ, very God, is your consuming passion? Some of you are thinking, that's really not possible. But it is possible. Because I want us to look at Hebrews actually 11.5 this morning. That's just one verse before Hebrews 11.6. That's context. And we're going to meet a guy whose passion became God. It wasn't always God, but it became God. And he's really an interesting guy. So I'm going to ask, you know, John, can you put up Hebrews 11.5? It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. So here... The writer of the book of Hebrews introduces us to Enoch the Exceptional. 
And, you know, it seems like he took a page right out of the playbook of, you know, the first Star Trek series on television where Captain Kirk would say, beam me up, Scotty. I mean, really, how would you have liked to have been on the search party looking for Enoch? Would it really? No, it would have been kind of an interesting experience, don't you think? Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I think I see old Enoch's footprints in the sand. And you begin to follow those footprints in the sand. And then suddenly they just stop. It's just like the guy vanished into thin air. You talk about an inscrutable mystery. Now in Genesis chapter 5, Moses the Magnificent, he sheds some light on Enoch the Exceptional. Moses, by the way, wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And, you know, most people in their devotionals don't spend a lot of time on Genesis chapter 5. You know why? Because it's, it's, it's like reading a Jewish obituary column. No, it's a diary of death. And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. I mean, that's far too much reality for the average American Christian. You know, I am very fond of saying, you know, Statistically, one out of one people still die. I love to do that at the Jesus Soda Survey, and people look at me, huh? Yeah, one out of one people die. But then in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 19, we're suddenly jolted out of the monotony of repetition. Skip put up the verses. And we're told this. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. Now, if you take a careful look at the text If you notice carefully, for the first 65 years of Enoch's life, he's almost like everybody else. He's just kind of doing his own thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he's not religious. I think he is religious. I think, you know, he's he's going to church on Sundays. He's tithing. He's giving some money. He might even be volunteering. But after that, he's just kind of, you know, like the typical Christian, he's just in America, he's just kind of doing his own thing the rest of the time. But then all of a sudden, something happens, we're told. At 65 years of age, Enoch has a kid. He has a child, and everything changes. And one night, apparently, Enoch goes, or, or, uh, Enoch goes into baby Methuselah's room, bedroom. He looks into the crib, and he sees those big blue eyes, and they're just staring up at him. And he thinks, wow! I am on. Wow, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. I I mean, I'm responsible for this soul. I am way over my head. So what does Enoch do? Does he do the human thing? Does he run out to Barnes and Nobles and grab the bestseller, Five Easy Steps to Perfect Parenting? That's what most of us would do. No, he doesn't do that. No, he does something so unique in his generation. It says in the text that he actually begins to seek the God of the universe for answers. Now, I think that's part of the answer as to why Enoch changes. 
There's another reason why, though. Have you ever considered the name of Enoch's child? Methuselah? See, I don't think Enoch came up with the name. I don't. I think God gave Enoch the name Methuselah. Because you know what Methuselah means? Methuselah means, now listen to this, when he dies, it will be sent. When he dies, it will be sent. So when Methuselah dies, something will be sent. What is that something? Judgment, a flood, a worldwide flood. So I believe what happened on that night when Enoch went into the room of Methuselah and he looked into that crib and he saw those big baby blue eyes, I think the Spirit of God moved on him. And I think the Spirit of God said, Enoch, this baby here, he's going to be my messenger. And here's his message. When he dies, it will be sent. What will be sent? Judgment. And if you read Genesis carefully, when Methuselah dies, God opens up the heavens, the floods come. Everybody's wiped out except Noah and his family. Only eight people are saved. And this message, I want you to understand something. This message of judgment so consumed Enoch, it changed the very course of his life. It's interesting. In the New Testament book of Jude, that's Jesus' half-brother, we're told this. Enoch, now watch this, who lived in in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, so this became Enoch's message. Listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of this world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things that they have done and for all the insults that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I mean, this kid changes his life because, first of all, he's overwhelmed, but it's the name, judgment. And it changes his entire life. Now, you know, the problem is we live in America. Who thinks that God, Santa Claus, Santa Jesus, is going to bring judgment? No, see, none of us believe. I mean, half of the American church doesn't really believe in the message of judgment anymore. We've done a good job of sanitizing them. But I mean, have you read this book lately? Just, just go to page three or four. You hit Genesis 6, you hit judgment. Then guess what? You go to the book of Exodus, and guess what you hit? Judgment, he judges the greatest nation on planet Earth, Pharaoh and Egypt. Then you go to Deuteronomy's numbers, and you see what, ha- you know what happens? The earth opens up, and it swallows up hundreds and thousands of people. That's judgment. And I know what you're thinking. You go, well, see, that's the Old Testament God. You know, he had an anger issue back then. But by the time he gets to the New Testament, things are better. Have you read the book of Revelation lately? He really mellows out there, doesn't he? I mean, it's judgment. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, that's a fear tactic. It's not a fear tactic. It's truth. It's truth. God, yes, is a loving God, and we're going to see that in a moment, but he's also a holy God. He's a holy God, and he brings judgment. In fact, 
Judgment, like I said, so just encapsulated Enoch's life that it actually began to live out its name. Do you know what Enoch's name means? Anybody know? It means dedicated. Actually, because of this, he dedicates himself to God. And he begins to walk with God for the next 300 years. We're not talking one year. We think, wow, that's a long time. I've been walking with God for one year, two years. 300 years this guy walks with God. That's perseverance. And then you know what happens? He goes on the ride of his life. One day he is just beamed up to heaven. Let's move towards communion. Skip, play the video. Watch the video closely. Have the servers come forward. You know, tragically... Like I said, we, we kind of give half a message in America, and we tend to talk about the love of God, and absolutely, but we tend to avoid that whole message of judgment because we don't understand. We want to downplay that God is a holy God. He just can't wink. He cannot wink at sin, at wrongdoing. And, and I hope that you understand, I mean, when you look at the cross, when I, when I look at the cross, do we understand that Jesus was taking that judgment? And that's something, Jesus himself was taking that ju- your judgment. He was taking my judgment. It's an incredible, incredible thought. It's an incredible idea. It's an incredible truth. And see, it's, it's, it's got to, if you've experienced, it's got to impact you. And so when we're talking about communion here, we invite you to celebrate communion. But I only invite you to do it as if you really, in your heart of hearts, have experienced that incredible love of Christ, realizing that he took all of the wrath and the judgment of God on himself for you and for me. If you've experienced it, I invite you. I invite you to take this time. It's a powerful time. Maybe, maybe you haven't ever come to that point. You're, you're religious. You're kind of like Enoch was before, 65 years of age, but you just never have really come and experienced that. You can't even right now, even right now as I'm talking, you can say, Jesus, I just finally got it. And I, 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 I want to receive that life that you give. I want to receive it now. And you can just bow your heart. Now, maybe, maybe you say, hey, I'm, I, I am a Christian, but I've been on autopilot. I, I really, it's, it's summertime, it's coming to the end, I've been coasting. And I know I am not right. So that's why I like to give a moment of silence. Just allow the Holy Spirit to deal with your heart. Maybe this is your morning, you come to Christ. Maybe the Spirit of God's working. You're going to open the door of your heart up to Jesus. And you're going to experience that incredible forgiveness. You won't have that sense of judgment anymore. And maybe you just need to get right with Jesus. So let's just bow and allow the Spirit of God to deal with us for the next minute or two. Holy Spirit, I pray that you've had your way. I pray that even this morning, those I know that walked in here and they had not passed from death to life, I pray even now that they would do it. They would pass from death to life. 
Holy Spirit, that you'd be so strong, that you'd bring such conviction, and at the same time, such a powerful truth that your love took our judgment. And so as we experience this incredible time now of communion, I pray that it'll be a tremendous time of healing, but also a tremendous time where we're going to walk out of here rejuvenated and have a renewed passion for you, Lord, and for your mission. Forgive us, Lord, for getting waylaid on the things of this world that mean nothing. So have your way now, I ask. And I ask for this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. It says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples. He was excited to meet with his disciples. He said, I look forward to meeting with you. And by the way, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you're a disciple. And guess what? Jesus is excited to have this time right now with you. Isn't that something to think about? He's excited right now to have this time with you, with me. And he's, he's, they're celebrating the Seder. Jeff has done an excellent job over and over over the years of, of expressing what that means. They're having the Seder meal. And at one point, though, Jesus stops and he breaks bread. And he says, this is my body given for you to do this in remembrance of me. And, you know, we've talked about what the bread means. The bread was the chief staple 2,000 years ago. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm the bread of life. I'm life. I'm what you need. I'm all that you need. And we've talked about that. But what I want to talk about right now is, have you dedicated your life to the bread of life? See, it's one thing to know it here. But it's another thing to get on your knees and surrender to it and experience the power of the bread of life. And maybe it's okay to even get on your knees this morning and say, wow, I'm surrendering you, Jesus. I'm dedicating, I'm like Enoch. I'm dedicating right here, right now. I'm dedicating myself to the bread of life. Oh, Lord, I pray. Wow, we just missed the power. We miss the power because we refuse to dedicate and surrender ourselves to the bread of life. I pray as we partake of this now, we would do it. In our heart of hearts, we would do this. And we'd begin to experience real life, not this just kind of pseudo life. So many of us are dead on the inside because we don't have the life vibrating of the power of the Holy Spirit released. It starts when we surrender to the bread of life and dedicate ourselves. May we do that this morning, I ask, in your name. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. 
You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.